So you're saying you have to be social. You have to be, to be social. social to be a social <laughs> media manager. You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Each week, we interview someone who has an interesting story about how they found their way into the creative class. They also share advice and insight into their own professions. Laura Kelly is the social media manager at Carnegie Mellon University. Really great conversation, especially if you're trying to learn a little bit about new social media trends. She provides a lot of tips and she also acknowledges and explains there are some trade-offs working in a new field like social media. I had just read this article about the first social media, you know, major in college that you can get. I forget which university it was, but in your background, I don't think that you thought when you were in college, oh, I want to be a social media manager. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I even remember professors talking about what a waste of time <laughs> Facebook was. You know, it was something that was distracting people from class, not something that, you know, could be seen as something that could become a career. Um, when I was in college, Facebook was still only for college kids. You know, you had to have a university ID to, or email address rather, to even access it. And what did you study? What did you get involved in in college? My uh, bachelor's degree is in communications media, which was great because, you know, I learned so many technical things, how to edit video, how to shoot video, rule of thirds, you know, all of those really important things, how to record and edit audio, all of those things that I use now for social. You know, social is such a visual platform across all of them. Visual is what works. All of my data tells me that. I look at my um, analytics and it's, you know, if it's a video, it's off the charts. If it's a photo, it's second place. And then if it's just a link or text, it's further down on that list. And it's so great because when I started out was a whole room to control a video shoot is now an Amiibo camera or you know, something that you can edit on your phone. Um, whereas in college, I had a Nokia brick cell phone and text messages were 160 characters. Uh, so it certainly um, has come a long way. But the, those tools and those skills that I learned then have stayed with me the whole time. It's interesting because I have a younger brother. I call myself a, a soft millennial. Okay. And I call my brother a hard millennial. Sure. So he's about eight years younger than I am. And his tacit interaction with the platforms and with just kind of, you know, I think he was, he did a full like live stream, not a live stream, but a recording of all of these like water polo matches that he had in his friend's backyard, you know, with all of his friends playing water polo and they had a blog about it and they had all this thing, all these things that were built around this, uh, this game that they were just playing in their backyard. You know, and so that that idea that you're, you know, you're so absorbed with the platforms and there is that divide between generations, you know, my parents' generation, it's harder to for them to get involved in it. I want to get to the kind of the big idea of what what you see in the trends and what you, you know, what you see works for uh, Carnegie uh, Mellon University. I, I was talking to uh, not on the show, but I, I want I tried to get him on the show. He worked for a big nonprofit and ran their their Facebook back in the day where you can kind of hack the al- algorithm a little bit and figure out what 
gets pushed to the top, they would do these quotes, inspirational quotes and inspirational people. And then it, the numbers would go through the roof and they'd do that for like a couple of days. And then they, he would say he'd give them the broccoli, which is the message that they're actually trying to send. And then it would maintain those numbers. But if he just tried to give them the message, it wouldn't come through. The importance I see in Carnegie Mellon having this platform is we have so many great stories to tell and they run the gamut. You know, it could be a really interesting research story or it could be a student who has taken it upon themselves to do some really great charitable work. Um, And that's all Carnegie Mellon. You know, Uh, when I started here, I was so excited because I had worked um, in the tech sector before and I still am, but I also get to talk about Broadway musicals, you know, because Carnegie Mellon has all of that. Through our platforms, we get to tell those stories every single day to people. Some of these stories might not be something that the Wall Street Journal would pick up or the New York Times would pick up or even a local uh, outlet would pick up, but they're things that our audience recognizes and sees as being um, a benefit. And it also, you know, for me, um, before starting college or before getting a job anywhere, you know, it sort of um, didn't really see the man behind the curtain type thing. Um, And this is opening that curtain a little bit so people can see what, you know, the CMU experience is like, what being here is like, and really opening it up and making it more of a community, whether you're here on campus or you're somewhere else. And for alumni, that's really important too, you know, being able to see experiences that people are having uh, here on campus and getting to feel like they're a part of that too. And I feel like through social, we can make that a little more accessible to people. I know that there's an overwhelming feeling about all of the different platforms and kind of most people are comfortable with maybe two and not six. What would you say, managing all of those, what would you say is is good advice for, for those organizations? People will talk about your organization or product, um, whether you're on that platform or not. Um, but I think it's better not to be on a certain platform than be there and not be interactive. Um, That's the thing about social as opposed to sending newsletters or something like that. People can talk back. (laughs) And um, it's really important to have someone there listening. Um, You know, I actually uh, received an email from someone because she... uh, commented on a Facebook post um, about it being her 50th reunion coming up this spring. And it's also the 50th anniversary of Carnegie uh, Institute of Technology and Mellon Institute uh, forming Carnegie Mellon University. So I sent her a direct message and said, hey, I would love to talk to you. Could you email me? And the first line of her email was, it's so nice to know that somebody is actually reading what I said. Um, So that's number one. If you're going to be somewhere, be there. Um, And two is to pick where your audience is. Who is your target audience? What are their demographics? What platform matches those demographics? Once you find that, be really good at it. You know, experiment a little bit, do some A-B testing to see does it work better if I'm posting 
videos or if I'm posting photos? Does it work better if that photo has a text overlay or if there's a, a text caption? That sort of thing to see what your audience is reacting to and then get really good at that. I think that's really important because I, I do think that the social media is seems to be for a lot of people a catch-all. Yeah. And they're kind of posting things. And while I, I put in my two posts for today, I feel pretty good. And not really doing the, the anal- and even though the, the numbers are there, not even looking at them. Yeah. Um, but but that, that A-B testing and also the, the most important thing for, and this is what I tell a lot of clients uh, in video is, and especially if you work with, sometimes I work with organizations, maybe they're doing a fundraising video and they have this grant and they want it to be the biggest and best video that you've ever seen, a 15-minute video spanning all of their different programs. And it's it's hard for them to step back and say, no, we are targeting the big donors with this, and this is the messaging, and this is how we reach them. And you'll end up being more successful, and the, the investment would be will be more worth it. Right. Um, but it's hard to, and you want to kind of reach everyone. And so, how do you, how do you develop that discipline, and and or what have you seen with the analytics that that tells you what works? Yeah, do you have examples of that? that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I harp on all the time is timing of posts, especially on Facebook. Um, and what's so wonderful is Facebook analytics; it shows you when your audience is on not only what day of the week, what time of the day, you know, all of that information that is so useful. And it's so great to see all of the analytics and video is definitely one that works great, but something that just makes my heart so happy. When students do something really good, people love it. And, you know, that's such a nice thing to see that, uh, you know, there's a lot of ugly on social media, but it's so great to see when people just support a student who did something awesome. It's interesting because we were ta- you showed me a, a video that you're working on uh, for social media and uh, featuring the... Tartan Tuba Band. Tartan Tuba Band. <laughs> and it's something you say you do every year. And and I, we were discussing this before, and, and I was thinking about you know getting into social media video because that's kind of where a lot of things are moving. And, and there's this idea of, of, is it a... Well, is it just video? Is it... Can we call it a social media video? Is it just video? And the, the low-tech versus high-tech or expensive thought thought through videos. And I think that that potentially is still, there's still going to be a place for that higher-end video, the yeah. edited video that you spend a couple months on and still release through social media. Yeah. But And then there's, of course, opportunities for just pulling your phone out. Absolutely. What I've found... Uh, our audience at least is very forgiving of poor video quality if the audio quality is still there. Um, so I've been able to find great microphones that you know, plug into my headphone jack. I don't know what's going to happen when I upgrade and just have the lightning port, but we'll see what happens. Uh, well, they have a little adapter. Yeah, so I'll adapt and I'll just, <laughs> my, my tiny little phone that can do everything will just have all of these attachments. Um, <laughs> But um, I found some great quality microphones that are, you know, $25 tops. Um, and it makes such a difference. Oh, yeah. When people can hear things, uh, it seems to make all of the difference in the world. And Facebook now, too, has that it auto uh, fills captions. Um, what? Yeah. It's super cool. Speech to text. Yeah. 
and you can go in and it breaks it down to three seconds at a time so you can fix anything that you need to um wow which is pretty cool there was a while youtube was doing that when you upload and i i'm into documentary film so i was like this is great i can upload a two-hour interview and it will transcribe it for me yeah and I'm like, why are they giving this away for free? You know, and and I checked back in with it. I was going to try and do it for this one interview I did, and then, and then I go to click and to download, and it says, it has this payment option. Oh uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> you pay twenty dollars or thirty dollars, it gives you the transcript. And I'm like, oh, they were just beta testing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm like they're going to get to it eventually. You know, they're going to figure out a way. Yeah, of course. To, to monetize. Absolutely, it. absolutely. <laughs> The one platform that I'm on it and I, every two months I go on and make funny videos of myself on Snapchat and I send them to my friends. And so what is, what is the kind of array of things that you, that you put out on Snapchat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the first thing that I'll tell you about, uh, about a year ago, maybe a little less than that, um, the city of Pittsburgh, uh, had a water boil advisory. Mm, Right. I remember that that. affected campus. Um, so we had bottled water all over the place. Um, and Snapchat and Instagram stories was the place that I put that information because that was for our students. It was just for the day on both platforms. That sort of thing disappears after 24 hours. So it's not like somebody would go scrolling through and say, oh, great. In Margaret Morrison, there's bottled water. Let me go stop by. Um, uh, and that was knowing that that was where our students were was the most effective way to get that message to them. Then we do a lot of visual things. uh, And we'll actually, for Snapchat, um, we'll do training with certain student groups um, or certain campus groups to do a takeover for specific events. So for example, um, during orientation this year, we had one of the head orientation counselors take over Snapchat to show that behind the scenes, here's what's coming type thing. And so it was really cool for, um, you know, the students themselves to see if they were featured and they could then re-snap that and things like that. And it was really cool for prospective students to see this is what the orientation experience is like at Carnegie Mellon. Um, So anything that, you know, has that visual fun event type thing is what we're using Snapchat for. Um, Not so much, you know, pushing out research or, you know, things like that. That's cool. That's very interesting. To finish up, I'm curious, and since we are talking about an audience of of younger people, or um, I like to say people trying to transition into the creative class, kind of getting out from behind a desk and maybe into production or something like that. What advice would you have for somebody that's maybe thinking about taking a major in social media? Get comfortable talking to a lot of people. You know, uh, one of my coworkers here, homecoming was last weekend or the weekend before, and he texted me to see where I was. And I told him and he met up with me and we wanted to go cover something. And uh, I walked up to this group of strangers and said, hi, I'm Laura Kelly. I'm the social media manager here. Can we shoot X, Y, Z for our social media pages? And my coworker said, that's why I texted you because I hate doing that. And that's all I do. You know, hi, I'm Laura Kelly. I'm the social media manager. Can I 
So you're saying you have to be social. You have to be, to be social <laughs> to be a social media manager. Um, and also, don't expect to work a nine to five day ever. I don't know if anybody can anymore, but you certainly cannot in social media. Social media doesn't close at 5 p.m. And, you know, to cover an event that's happening at eight o'clock, you have to be there at eight o'clock. Or also responding. I know that people get into a lot of trouble when, you know, they have those, uh, you know, routine posts that are scheduled and then somebody responds or some big person retweets it and makes a comment and you don't hear anything for 12 hours, then you're, yeah, you missed an opportunity. Right. Absolutely. Um, so be prepared for that. Um, it's something that is a 24 seven job. I think that's the, the best piece of advice is know that going in, you know, go in with your eyes wide open and know that it's awesome and you'll get to do a lot of cool things and you get to be creative and you get to see exactly how many people are seeing your messages and getting instant feedback, whether it's good, bad or ugly. And that is so cool and so valuable. But it's also something that happens outside of a nine to five day. <laughs> I think that's great advice. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Oh, really thank you so it. much. Check out the back episodes on weightwhatpro.com. You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM.